It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. You can hear all of the latest episodes at thepetecalendarshow.com and, of course, on your favorite podcast platforms. Be sure to subscribe. Check out the description on the podcast here as well, and uh, you'll get all of the links to the Facebook group, to the Patreon account. Uh, Folks like Pamela and Eric and Eugene and who else here? Sarah and Frank and Shan and Sherry. I thank you very much for all of your support. Uh, also want to thank Mattress Man uh, here in the Asheville area. They have four stores in Asheville and Arden and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide, though, and they revamped their entire um, uh, website uh, when the COVID stuff started happening because they recognized that, you know, people are going to be uh, shopping from home a lot. And so they uh, they, they did a whole, like, uh, sweeping update to the e-com section of the website. And um, everybody at Mattress Man stores, they wanted to reach out uh, to you, the audience, and let you know that, you know, they're thinking about you. They understand uh, that everybody's in a really tough spot. That includes, uh, you know, this audience. It includes me. It includes them at Mattress Man, all of the folks that work there, too. Um, the weeks ahead are going to be difficult, and especially for family-owned businesses, because when you got the social distancing, the in-store traffic is impacted, right? And so all of these stores are closed, and uh, so how do you adapt? Well, as more people stay home, Mattress Man enhance their website, And it means you can shop for your perfect mattress from the comfort of your home, but probably not the comfort of your bed, because if you're looking for a better mattress, then chances are it's not very comfortable. So get a bed uh, that you would be able to uh, really like enjoy, be comfortable while you are self-isolating. They also have a 120-day comfort guarantee. It ensures that you're going to love the mattress, right? 120 days. That's like, what, four months, three months? I was told there would be no math, Um, but uh, if you uh, don't like the bed that you get, 120 days, exchange it for free. After all, you know, sleeping on the right mattress is going to help you in these COVID times. It helps you combat stress and anxiety for optimal health. Uh, So visit mattressmanstores.com. That's their website, mattressmanstores.com. Click the shop online button and you can order it right now. Get free local White Glove Delivery. If you are in uh, the Asheville area, free local White Glove Delivery and use the special discount code RESTWELL for an additional 20% savings site-wide. That's RESTWELL, R-E-S-T-W-E-L-L, RESTWELL, all one word. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. And you uh, go to the website, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. Matthew Peterson wrote at the American Mind an essay called A Time for Statesmanship, and uh, in it he wrote that the lockdowns in many parts of our country are not a plan, but an understandable and plausible initial reaction to the virus. Most Americans understand this and have thus far willingly complied. Uh, But patience is wearing out, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing a lot of these protests around uh, the nation, including the one here in North Carolina this week, the Reopen NC. And one of the people who attended that that demonstration was North Carolina's 9th Congressional uh, Representative, Dan Bishop, and he joins us now. Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, Congressman, how are you? I'm great, Pete. It's great to be with you. Um, uh, it's good to talk with you again. And um, 
It's been we've known each other now for like twenty years or so. I always feel the need to disclose Absolutely. this because you were. I remember you being a brand new county commissioner down in Mecklenburg, <laughs> and uh, uh, I remember. I was some, ornery then too. That's right. I was ornery. <laughs> well, it is actually, and I want to ask you about this. I'll circle back around to that just because you you do have a way though of being able to to sit on bodies with people that you really really disagree with, but always maintain sort of uh, and and. Uh, amiability about yourself, and I thought that I think that that has served you well uh, uh, in your uh, public service. But I want to ask you first about the um, the reopen NC demonstration. So, first off, just at a personal level, were you worried at all about getting the virus? Are you worried still about getting the virus? I don't know how old you are exactly, but uh, you know you know what the data looks like, right? Uh, are you worried yeah. that you'd pick this thing up? Even a little bit worried. Um, I'm 55 years old, uh, so I suppose I'm edging toward a group that has is higher risk than somebody who's a 19-year-old kid or whatever. Yeah, uh, it, it crosses my mind, Pete. Uh, but one thing I've decided, consistent with what I've had to say of late, uh, I'm going to start flying back and forth to Washington every week, even though Congress has not yet decided they're going or we're going to resume activities. Um. Life in, entails some risk, and uh, there are people out carrying rifles on watch every day that are engaged, that are confronting risk uh, out of duty. And I think all of us have to do that. Now, it doesn't mean you take reckless risk, but there's there is risk in getting in the car. Uh, there are risks associated with everyday life. I, I really don't worry about it much, um, and. Uh, and I'm and I take reasonable precautions as soon as you know, before anybody else almost up here, uh, my office was conducting no touch meetings. I was not shaking hands and you know, I've, I've been fine, even as others have been uh, stricken. So I think it's a matter of caution. But uh, but sometimes people let their fears run away with them and control their lives. I just mm-hmm. don't think that's the way we ought to be. So do you think that as a society, though, we're even equipped to have this kind of a discussion or a debate about acceptable risk, because I see a lot of people, elected leaders, I see, you know, activists and influencers, and they they seem to want to cast a lot of this as, you know, uh, uh, you want people to die if you go out to this demonstration. So, like, what's your response to that, that that line of attack that you're trying to, you know, get people killed or you're, uh, in this, you know, in, in the service of politics, you're getting people killed. Yeah. There's sort of a herd mentality, uh, and sort of a, a, a panic, uh, reaction in with all of our current state of technology, social media, um, those instincts really can take hold uh, and, and be very destructive. They're not new. I mean, it's age old. You can go back and read the stories of Moses, right? And uh, and it was about how, uh, notwithstanding things uh, that were done, improved people's lives. They were uh, it, it sooner or later that it always comes around to the crowd um, um, shouting condemnation. I, I think uh, that, that, that so it's not different. It is particularly potent today because of those. Uh, new technological innovations when everybody can comment immediately and um, and and there's nothing more fun than than uh, telling your congressman he should congressman he should resign or die or something like that. So 
I, I think that's the part of the responsibility though. It's connected to the duty that I said a moment ago. Um, that we're, we're part of the duty of someone in public life is to be prepared to stand in front of a freight train if necessary. And sometimes the freight train will stop. Sometimes it won't. So why did you attend? What was your, what was the, your purpose for being at that uh, demonstration? Uh, I have been for the last, well, I, I did not share personally the view that it was a good idea to lock the economy down across the country in these orders. Um, I did to, to, to your lead, the lead that you started with is, is exactly my mindset. I didn't think it was the right move, uh, but I believed that um, uh, people should cooperate with and give a fair amount of latitude to those trying to figure out how things should be run. Um, and I think the indications are that across the country, people overwhelmingly believe that was the right move. And I respect that. But as it wears on, the damage by closing the economy and by this kind of arbitrary distinctions between essential and non-essential are doing untold damage. And uh, it's got to end. Uh, and so that becomes more apparent to me every day. And at the same time, I see public officials who are responsible for, particularly Roy Cooper in North Carolina, taking steps that seem designed to avoid reckoning with that need. So it, it's in the not not really disclosing information, uh, putting out little tidbits of jargon and slogans rather than confronting openly the need to articulate a plan for restoring normalcy and criteria to get us there. And 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 frankly, something looking like a timeline. Right. So those things. Um, make it clear to me that I've, I've sort of had an experience the last two weeks or so of a strong sense that I needed to find my voice uh, to push in the right direction. And um, as often happens, uh, uh, somebody else did it better than I could have. The, these folks, these uh, spontaneously erupting uh, social media groups on Facebook, some of which have been banned <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just I have great admiration for people of ordinary circumstances who step up and and uh, seize the microphone. And they've done that well. And when they were <laughs> and when some unfortunate schmuck in the Raleigh Police Department tweeted out that protest is not essential, it <laughs> it captured for the country. I mean, that, that thing got play a lot of places. Uh, it captured the issue very well. And uh, and and opened it up so that we could begin explaining. And this isn't all. It's not about economics alone by any means. It's about the way our lives are lived and the freedoms are uniquely American. And that um, our emergency powers don't go nearly as far as some people think in terms of kind of one person uh, exercising discretion to just suspend all of that. And it was an opportunity to begin articulating. So you are a, a, an attorney, um, and are, you're right. Correct. You're still. Uh, you're that's, still. That's with right. The bar. Still, still, still <laughs> licensed and uh, in good standing as a member of the bar. Right. Okay. So um, I am curious on the, the the legal argument here, and every county has different orders. And so, as I understood, the Wake order that got everybody, you know, so riled up was. 
it seemed to me when I read the Wake County order, it seemed like it, it was definitely making a different set of rules for congregations versus other retail establishments. Uh, and I think uh, State Senator Phil Berger uh, uh, sent out a, his press office sent out, uh, I thought, a pretty cogent argument saying, like, you know, why can I? Uh, get a, a hamburger, you know, delivered to me through a window in my car, but I can't pull up at a drive-through church service in Wake County. So it did seem like some of those restrictions were uniquely uh, targeting congregations. Uh, and I right. think had they been eased at this point now in Wake County, because those and those restrictions were not statewide, right? Uh, I haven't studied the uh, the Raleigh order. Uh, I've paid more attention to the governor's order and the order in Mecklenburg. Right. I don't think, for example, the governor's order uh, has been revised. He's sort of revising it and practiced on the fly. I'm not sure you'll get a tremendous amount of guidance out of those orders in terms of what exactly they're doing. But yeah, a lot of them certainly look like they are uh, they you know wholly sh- uh, shut down religious congregation as non-essential and other many other things what and it, it, what's instructive on this i think the way the the right analysis of it is that in ordinary circumstances your first amendment freedoms fundamental rights under the constitution uh, are uh, you know have some limitation but the standard that courts apply to scrutinize them is very tough it is you've got to show that your government action infringing on such a right is is a is necessary uh, to an essential government function and really that there are no lesser means uh, to accomplish the same objective. Uh, the, the standard is more deferential in the middle of an emergency, but it still is, you know, has the test of rational relationship. Is it, does it, does it bear a reasonable relationship to a, this critical government interest? And then uh, even then, what happened out in Kansas recently, a federal judge last week, sometime in the past week, uh, entered, entered a TRO against the provision of the Kansas governor's order restricting churches from any congregation, you know, from having people having services uh, because it was uh, arbitrary and, 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 and uh, capricious. It, it, it made it allow a lot of gathering in places, more than 10 people of businesses that were quote unquote, an essential, but it didn't, you know, give the same prerogatives to the, the fundamental right of religious worship. And so that's what I think courts can readily say is these orders are riddled with arbitrary distinctions. And uh, that's why they're vulnerable to attack. Well, and they don't pass a, a, just a simple test of logic among people who aren't lawyers and just regular folks who see, well, wait a minute, I can't go to church, but I can go get, you know, alcohol at the ABC store, um, which, by the exactly. way, I am not, I do not knock the ability to get the alcohol during these times. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> it's an inconsistent application of the standard that's obvious to one and all. And um, it, it's also in this delineation, uh, and you just mentioned it, you wrote about it in a recent op-ed as well, about the essential versus non-essential argument and i've been saying so and so it, it, it's similar to what i've been saying which of course makes your point brilliant um is that this essential versus <laughs> non-essential that's not the accurate or helpful delineation right this is uh it, it's more of a question of can you do the job safely can your business operate safely and if it can 
then that's essential. Then you can that, operate. That, that, that's, that's right. It, it also it gets what it gets very quickly into is you recognize that essential versus non-essential has no objectivity. Right. It is. It is. A, it is a question of what's favored or disfavored by the government official making the decision, and what is revealed. What's revealed, and when they when they say no churches can gather, you got somebody who may pay lip service to the First Amendment and the religious freedom, but they really don't believe it. And so it's not a, they can just sort of sweepingly say, well, we won't do that. Now, uh, I, and I think, Pete, what you just said sort of gets at something when a minute, minute ago gets at something else here. What you said just it's what common sense for people don't really have a law degree. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There are so many things in the present crisis in which common sense uh, will will help guide and yet it is we we sort of there's a big part of our politics today in which certainly a big part of the left says you you aren't entitled to exercise common sense judgment it, you you don't need to question or uh, second guess uh, experts you don't need to to have the temerity to open up their uh, models there's their data that produce these graphs and look at them and see if they make any sense or not, uh, you don't need to take notice of the fact that they continue to be revised downward over and over and over again, even though they took into account social dis- distancing, because that's not your purview. You are a, a, a commoner, and these are experts. And uh, and we go wrong there, Pete. And, and it, frankly, the same is true of people who claim to be the lawyers and want to have exclusive domain over what the legal uh, analysis is. It's perfectly legitimate for people to look at something and say the right to, for, for, to uh, free speech shall not be abridged and expect that they want somebody needs to explain to them why they're able to do all this abridging of free speech. Um, and so I think common sense is our is our weapon. That, that's that's the weapon of a free people. So I'm, I'm for it. So just as you said that, obviously, you've probably heard that come down the line. The uh, yes, the uh, the modern technology. Also, the joys of working from home uh, under the orders is that uh, I've got the yard people now out uh, outside of the complex. They've started up their uh, uh, their weekly mowing. Let me read to you the uh, the North Carolina Democratic Party's statement on the protests. I'm sure you've heard this already, but uh, let me read to you the statement and get your reaction. They say this is Wayne Goodwin. He is the chairman of the Democratic Party in a statement saying. Protesting safely under these circumstances is one thing, but today's demonstration quickly devolved into a dangerous situation in which social distancing guidelines were entirely ignored. What's worse, a number of Republicans flagrantly encouraged this behavior, which endangered our heroes on the front lines who are already putting themselves in jeopardy every day. U.S. Representative Dan Bishop and State Representative Jerry Carter's attendance at this event is a shameful display of ignorance and selfishness. We call on the North Carolina Republican Party to immediately disavow their outrageous behavior today. It is simply unacceptable. So first off, have you been disavowed yet by the party? Has the North Carolina Republican Party disavowed you over this? You never know what's going to happen next, but no disavowing as of now. (laughs) (laughs) Never can tell. Not in North Carolina politics, at least. Uh, But uh, to to the point, though, are you concerned at all about the optics? Because in politics, this matters. The optics of Democrats... Uh, essentially, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with the heroes working the front lines and, you know, you're out there trying to make their jobs harder. Look, this is a tug of war, Pete, and it's a 
it is a, a battle for uh, the minds and and uh, and senses of the of, of the people of America and people of North Carolina. Yeah, uh, the 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 other side will summon up optics uh, in order to make uh, it appear reckless. It is an appeal. That is an an appeal to the to the sense of panic that I described earlier. They want people to act or frankly not to act to cede control of their lives out of fear and so speaking through the fear to their reason does you know it, it, it poses risks and i think that's one reason uh there weren't more members of congress or other senior officials out at that event is uh, they're concerned about the person the risk to themselves their personal to, to their political fortunes by taking those stands. Uh, my view has always been somewhat different than that. Uh, I don't think there's any value in my serving in this office if I'm not prepared to subject myself to risk, my political fortunes to risk, to make points that have to be made. And in this instance, I'm 100% comfortable that I stand on firm ground when I defend fundamental rights against thoughtless and illogical um, infringement. My guest is uh, North Carolina's ninth congressional district representative Dan Bishop. Um, are you prepared for disaster? Do you need some advice? And are you maybe looking for some supplies, military surplus stuff that's real? Uh, you want to get in touch with Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. On Main Street in downtown Clyde, the store is, you know, under the lockdown orders. So uh, they're they're all online now at oldgrouch.com. And he, uh, Tim, gave me his text number to give to you so you can send him a text and you can get information. If you want to make an order, if you want to ask about a particular item that you've seen on his website, uh, or maybe you need some advice on how to be prepared and what supplies you should be looking to uh, you know, set aside and, and to accumulate, right? Uh, here's the number. Send him a text, 565-2497. 565-2497. Uh, send him that text, and he's happy to talk with you, offer advice, uh, give you information, take an order, all of it. Also, if you are EMS or law enforcement professionals looking for uniforms, you can make an appointment. Send him a text, 565-2497. Or go to the website oldgrouch.com. Old Grouch is military surplus. North Carolina's ninth congressional uh, representative, Dan Bishop. You mentioned earlier that you were not uh, in support of Governor Cooper's original order. Uh, and I think if I go back, I, I actually think I've got uh, a, a description here of the uh, of one of, of his original order because it has been. Uh, it got updated at one point, but um, we're, so let me just ask it this way: Were you in favor of his original order? This was uh, here it is back in uh, March March seventeenth. The first executive order banned sit down service at restaurants and private clubs. Uh, he then extended that order ten days later on March twenty seventh, closing all non essential businesses, ordering residents to stay at home except for quote essential purposes that were outlined in the order. Any barred mass gatherings of ten or more people. Were you in favor? or did you support the first order or the extension? There are varying degrees of, of agreement or disagreement. So try, let me try to be reasonably clear about it. Actually, when he closed restaurants, um, I, I 
I don't know that I would have issued that order throughout the state. I might have issued it somewhere. I might have issued it for Mecklenburg County and Wake and Durham. Uh, but I, so, so you might say I, I was in some uncertainty when he ordered this non-essential essential deal and the and the broad closing of the economy. I was in disagreement with it, but again, as I think many North Carolinians were uh, prepared to cooperate in goodwill, as you suggested in the lead, um, I uh, I did not disagree with it so vehemently that I thought it was appropriate to articulate any disagreement. But things are changing as that now shifts into an indefinite extension. We see models having been thoroughly revised so that there is no near-term prospect of harm to um, hospital resources. And, uh, and we have something that by its very length, you know, create, it causes itself something. It doesn't get tracked on many websites, but it's causing geometric, geometrically increasing devastating harm the longer it goes. So we've, re we've kind of moved into a different territory now and it, it's got to change. And uh, so that's where I, I, I'm out in public and so are the people from reopen movements. Yeah. Um, you are, are you advocating then that we go back to pre-COVID life, no mitigation, no restrictions? And do you think that's, that's ever possible? Absolutely not. And this is one of the ways in which the debate gets twisted by those who would just want to heap on the uh, ad hominem attacks, frankly, including the governor. So on April 6, when you start seeing phony things come out, you, you need to, you know, it's time to start mounting the ramparts and fight. Uh, the governor had some volunteer epidemiologists, if you'll recall, who said, and, and it's, it's interesting that they're volunteers. They're not contracted to do this work by, by NCDHHS or maybe the Public Records Act would apply. I mean, it may apply anyway, by the way, because some of these people are associated with public universities, but a group of volunteer epidemiologists who say, they come out and they announce conclusions, don't release any of their models or the underlying data, but they say, if we stop all social distancing as of April 30, here's the chance that we'll overwhelm our, our healthcare resources, pretty high. If we continue all the social distancing measures through June, or till uh, till beginning of June, on the other hand, we anticipate no such problem. Well, they were asking a question nobody's asking. Uh, no one suggests that I'm aware of uh, ending social distancing measures. This is a very serious threat, and uh, there and, and there we need to in fact continue innovating additional social distancing measures and maintain many of the ones that we have, but. Uh, it is that does not mean that shutting the economy is the right one. In fact, one very likely reason that the models that were contemplating social distancing, the reason they overshot the actual results in terms of numbers of cases and numbers of hospitalizations and ICU beds, and ventilators, is that they did not probably give sufficient effect in their predictions to the voluntary mitigation, the voluntary social distancing that was occurring prior to these orders being put into place. Uh, and so people are motivated and will uh, socially distance themselves. But what, it, what these, the lockdown orders are overshooting the mark and causing inestimable, inestimable damage to the economy. 
I think and part of the part of the problem with the governor's approach so far, and I've tried to give him latitude, I've tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I also do recall his response to the Hurricane Matthew disaster, uh, which wasn't exactular, uh, exactly uh, spectacular. You know, it, it, there were a lot of problems and mismanagement in that uh, response. And so uh, I've been trying to kind of, you know, bite my tongue and just give him the benefit of the doubt. But it's now becoming so obvious that even Raleigh Capital Press members are noticing that they're not giving data and not explaining what's driving their decisions on this stuff. Uh, and it seems like uh, what you know when he came out with the nine slide PowerPoint of the the three T's, uh, you know, testing, uh, uh, contact tracing, and transparency. Oh, no, sorry. No, it wasn't transparency. No, no transparency. Sorry. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this, uh, this sort of uh, like kindergarten level uh, presentation, um, and 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 that only came out after the president's uh, plan was announced, and other states. It just seems like uh, it doesn't seem like they have their stuff together, right? It, to me, at least. And at some point, it it does warrant examination and questioning. And, I, and as I said, I think that even the Raleigh press corps is starting to uh, to have some questions. And now I saw a story this morning where apparently DHHS is telling county health departments to seal death certificates so reporters can't look at them uh, i have seen that as well this morning that's troubling i would say um, very much so and, and i think um that 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 is the question is is whether uh enough pressure can be brought to provide accountability and frankly i think that then would take care of the indefinite persistence of the order uh, because when more data is known, it's going to be clear. I mean, you can look in, in any number of places. So the death certificates thing is very odd. Uh, it, it prompts me to start thinking about litigation. <laughs> but well, you uh, are a lawyer. I mean, that, that is, does, that's the natural. You know, when you're a hammer, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. Um, but uh, grass is always greener too. Now that I've sort of had to move away from a lot of that, but. <laughs> uh, but I do, I do think uh, that that is hard to say. And if you look at Mecklenburg County as an example, because there's been sort of a uh, as this process from the time that the hospital system there, the Charlotte, Charlotte Mecklenburg Hospital Authority, which does businesses, Atrium Healthcare, but it's a public entity. Um, I've been chasing their uh, modeling data since the time that they began articulating or advocating on March 23rd for the county first and then later the governor, well, same time started asking the governor also, but he did it later to enter these orders. Uh, and I was, I wanted to see what their models were. And, and if you could take, you could find little glimpses of things. They put one of these graphs in there, but you couldn't see what it was behind it. What you could see is that they're erratic. And, and, and they, and, and then I, they finally sent me a little piece of this. I did an extensive tweet thread about this. They sent me a little piece of information that they marked embargoed and told me I couldn't share. But this is outrageous. They're a public agency, and these are public records. They've been told by the Court of Appeals as recently as 2014 that the Public Records Act applies to them. And uh, they have no basis to withhold something that I'm requesting or anyone else that's in, that wants to ask for it, certainly media. But they are they have held back. But, but, but the pieces that did come out, it was they were just red flag obvious that they were that they were completely in, inconsistent with each other and that they were also dropping their 
projections as time went, but they all were way in excess of the IHME models from the University of Washington that have been so widely cited for, you know, for, for everywhere, including North Carolina. Um, and so uh, it, now, after that has gone on and, and they've sort of been embarrassed by it, they eventually said, OK, we don't think we even need surge space, a point which I don't necessarily agree with, by the way. Hmm. But but then the Mecklenburg County then issued a model and they go, you know, uh, two or three times what uh, Atrium Healthcare was projecting with, and, and offer no basis for that. And within five days, they issue another model that cuts theirs in half. They're just all over the map. And, and what I think is any level, if they, the more they disclose, the more it's going to be evident there's no basis in this case for what DHHS is doing. Instead, DHHS has followed a different policy, which is just keep it all uh, tight and let Dr. Cohen, Mandy Cohen, Secretary of Health and Human Services, whatever she says goes. And that ain't no way to want, run a railroad in a, in a uh, uh, democracy. My guest is uh, North Carolina's 9th Congressional District Representative Dan Bishop. Um, the, uh, the, the models that you're talking about, is it possible, uh, do you give them any bit of latitude in the fact that, like, look, we were relying on initially, you know, the Chinese for all the good that did, right? We're relying on them to give us the data. And so all of these models, we're, we're still trying to figure out. Nobody really knows what the real data is, so we're all trying to figure it out. So don't you expect there to be some level of fluctuation there? Have no problem about that whatsoever. What you want to see is candor about it, though. In other words, they if they come in and say, I mean, it would be one thing if the hospital CEOs around the state who first clamored for these lockdown orders, Actually, I say they clamored. They put out a public letter. Uh, it's likely the way these things go that that public letter went out by prearrangement with the governor's office. Where the impetus for this is, I don't know. But all the hospital systems advocated for doing this. Um, and if they had said, uh, we have no way to predict where this is going, uh, we don't know. But we believe that uh, temporarily, we need this just because we don't know anything. Uh, that would have been okay, uh, maybe. I mean, it would be, it, 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 that that can't that kind of ration that kind of logic cannot sustain this sort of order for law. But instead, these guys put out these things and say, "Here's our model. It's our model. We're the experts, and we say it's going to this." And so, unless you know, we're now uh, six weeks into it, uh, or more, more than that, seven, eight. Uh, and as the result, if, if, if at this point in time, uh, modelers cannot, you know, you, you see the hospitalizations are at a level that is that is not threatening. Uh, I think Atrium Hospital generally bounces around between 81 and 85, somewhere in that neighborhood of hospitalizations from COVID. They're about 400 statewide. It bounces up and down a bit. Uh, it, it, and 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 cases are leveling. I mean, the rate of increase is leveling out. Um, if we're in that situation and someone wants to toss a new model out, says we're going to we have to keep this in place because we're going to outstrip our healthcare resources. It has to have some predictive power at this point in time. And uh, and if they can't do that, if, if so, if they fake it, then they need to be exposed. If they say we have no idea what's going to happen still. But the evidence on the ground is it is not increasing in North Carolina at a rate to be extraordinarily alarmed by. And even in the place in New York where it's been the worst, they did not experience 
uh, insufficiency of ventilators and and hospital beds and so forth that has been threatened, it, it, they now bear a, a heavy burden of persuasion, and they can't do it just by tossing out a graph and refusing to show their work. Let me shift gears. We only got a couple more minutes with you, and I uh, wanted to ask you about Congress. Uh, I guess speaking of uh, not doing stuff, Congress was unable to put more money into that PPP to help the small businesses. Um, so why didn't that get done? Is, what's your understanding of why it took so long, what, 10 days or something, for for more money to flow into that program that was obviously needed? Um, Nancy Pelosi believes she can get away with murder, almost, almost literally. I mean, I, the... Uh, she blocked it. Uh, she and Chuck Schumer, because they wanted some Democrat wish list items, and uh, the, and it was just supposed to be a clean extension of PPP. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Republican negotiators have have uh, capitulated to some of their uh, demands, and we're up to a new six hundred billion dollar plan, of which only about three hundred ten is in that specific program. Uh, I'm going to vote for it, uh, and I don't say that with a great deal of eagerness in the sense that i i don't think the federal government can carry this uh this economy indefinitely yeah it can't do it uh, and and so we've you know we've we're in if we what if we run a 10 trillion dollar deficit this year that's possible it seems to me and uh, and there's all there's some really ugly prospects on the other side of overdoing it so but uh, for now it's pretty clear uh We've had this crisis has happened. This is the time in an emergency for the federal government to exercise its powers fully to provide relief. And we'll be passing that on the floor of the House on Thursday. And I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, real quick, uh, yes or no, do you have any plans to go on any late night TV programs, show off a pair of matching $12,000 freezers filled with high priced ice cream? <laughs> plan to do that no. <laughs> the, the, the mismatched accountability in our political system is really amazing can you imagine whether i would live to see another week in turn politically if i'd done something like that as Republican? it yeah. never worked that way but uh but so be it that's the that's the world we live in we'll keep fighting the battle one uh, and last question i mentioned earlier that um when you were on the county commission, you, you I remember you down in Mecklenburg County, this was like 20 years ago, and I, I remember you got along pretty well with your Democratic colleagues, even though you disagreed with them. And I'm kind of curious if you've been able to sort of cultivate any kind of relationships in Congress that uh, that people would not have automatically assumed that you would be able to cultivate. Like, are you have you have you had any, had any sort of unlikely friendships with anybody in Congress so far? It's a slow process, but yeah, there's some of that. Uh, Lou Correa is one guy that, that pops to mind immediately. I was just on a telephone conference so some, uh, with him earlier today uh, from California, former state assemblyman there, a member of Congress now, a genuinely nice fellow. Uh, you know, I, I, at seven months in, of which three I've been spending at home, we haven't had enough time to do those things, but there there are some warm relationships there. Nita Lowy, who's the longtime appropriations chief uh, for um, uh, the Democrats from New York, her husband, Steve Lowy, was a class action lawyer that I encountered early in my profession, and I've had occasion to chat with her about that. And so I, I look for those opportunities to, there, there are common points of reference for all of us if we just give it a little bit of time. Modern politics doesn't make it really easy, but I do think it's important to continue to be civil and and uh, and friendly with people and we'll all be better served by it 
All right. Uh, Congressman Dan Bishop from North Carolina's 9th District. I appreciate your time and uh, welcome back anytime. And I uh, see you didn't think we would be able to carry on this conversation for almost an hour. And yet here we are. Uh, so I, <laughs> you did most of the talking, just for the record. I think you did most of the talking. <laughs> I probably overdid it. Um, that's the last thing you want to do is get a politician and say we're not really st- subject to hard time stops. <laughs> Sorry, Pete, but it's great to be with you. Thanks so much. It's a long time. You do a great job. Well, I appreciate that. Stay safe and safe travels back up to D.C. The current events have impacted us all in very different ways. And uh, maybe you need to sell your home and you're thinking, but I don't want these people walking through my house. Right. Spreading coronavirus everywhere. Well, Rowena Patton has investors ready to tour your home virtually and potentially make a cash offer, saving you the hassle and stress of buyers having to walk through your home. You can start out with a video consult with Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Uh, Simply call her at 333-4483. There's no risk to you when you purchase. Love it or leave it with seller's fees free for six months and a discount for 10 years. Call the only agent that I would call. If I needed to buy a home, if I needed to sell my home, Call Rowena, 333-4483, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483, or go online, mountainhomehunt.com, that's mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. At the start of the program, I referenced an essay by Matthew J. Peterson at The American Mind. It's called A Time for Statesmanship. He says that lockdowns are a necessary but a Uh, blunt and costly weapon in this war they will not win it staying inside will not magically make the virus go away that is a really important point that i think a lot of folks uh, were led to believe or wanted to believe lockdowns are a necessary but blunt and costly weapon but they won't win the war staying inside doesn't make the virus go away barring a miracle We face a fight over the next few years to keep this virus at bay, keep the economy afloat, keep the political system intact and our way of life unchanged for the worse. But coming up with a long-term plan and implementing it effectively is going to require statesmanship, a concept with which our leadership class is unfamiliar. The stakes are high, he says. Fear and uneasiness about the virus is widespread, and just below the surface of the mainstream media's distorted mirrors, white-hot anger grows among those whose dreams and life's work are being daily destroyed by our cratering economy. Resistance and legal battles about the constitutional legitimacy of some of the more extreme government actions, all in the wake of the initial response, they increase daily. The resistance increases daily. A potential red state versus blue state divide uh, in the way in the way we approach reopening uh, and dealing with this long term, uh, he says it's widening. This this red state blue state divide is widening. Many have even begun to attempt to racialize the crisis, further fomenting future civic strife. Both sides in America's cold civil war increasingly turn to what's most comfortable. Many on the left seek solace in wielding and grasping ever more governmental power and the state of soft martial law much of blue state America has been plunged into might very well continue to harden in the coming weeks. A lot of folks on the right, they seek solace in denying expert opinions about the virus's danger, often playing the easy role of critic without the sober answers that governance requires. 
These and similar trends are fast gaining momentum, and this sort of fear and anger is not quickly going to subside. It will eventually land someplace politically, culturally, and economically. But we do not face a rigid choice between a complete shutdown, where we arrest our fellow Americans for driving or surfing alone or simply going back to normal and pretend that the virus is a mere cold, right? Those aren't the options. It's not lockdown or go back to the way everything was. These are the views of idiots and ideologues driven by fear and incompetence into policy paralysis. In this crisis, the simple answers are the worst ones. If we merely seek to minimize harm and avoid risk, or if we simply go back to normal, we're going to lose the war. Our political classes are unused to decisions of such magnitude being forced upon them. They are used to weaseling out of responsibility for momentous decisions and failing to pay any real price for failure. Don't be fooled by their smooth phrasing. Many in our leadership class are now acting out of cowardice and fear. They do not have a plan. They do not know what to do. They're treading water. They're playing politics. They're hemming and hawing behind the scenes. This is a political nightmare for them. In one direction, they'll be blamed for the spread of death and sickness. And on the other direction, economic collapse and societal unrest. Dan Forrest, Lieutenant Governor, he put out a statement the other day. This would have been, gosh, now almost 10 days ago. Uh, he says, uh, North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services needs to immediately publicize relevant data so the state can begin planning recovery efforts. This is from April 13. This is nine days ago. Dan Forrest, Lieutenant Governor, is saying we need to see the data. As I mentioned in the interview uh, with Dan Forrest, or sorry, uh, uh, Congressman Dan Bishop, um, it's becoming so obvious that even the Raleigh political press is taking note of the fact that they're not getting this data. And the DHHS is like refusing to give it to them. They keep asking and asking and asking. Here are some of the specific questions that need to be answered. The age and risk category of those who are or have been hospitalized. Age and risk category of those who have died. The number of hospital beds, inpatient and ICU, available by county and by hospital. The number of active cases that must be reached for our statewide hospital system to be overwhelmed. The number of people diagnosed with COVID-19 who have recovered. The number of tests completed on individual patients. A definition of what recovered means. Demographic data on all people tested. Zip codes for all confirmed cases. Cumulative numbers of hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and ventilator usage. These are common sense questions that protect patient privacy while providing the right information for our state leaders to make informed decisions. Further delay in releasing this information leaves the public and policymakers without the critical necessary data to reopen our state, and it'll prolong the devastation so many North Carolinians are experiencing. Here is Governor Cooper the other day when he was first asked about uh, this question on the numbers. Yeah, hi, thank you. Travis Fane with WRAL. Uh, a two-parter, please. Uh, number one, have we posted any new jobs for public health employees who would do contact tracing? So have we posted any of those new jobs? And second, 
how many tests do we need to do a day versus what we have the capacity for now in order to take the next step towards reopening? How so many tests? First, we know that we need to increase the workforce on contact tracing, and we have formed some partnerships to do that and are working to get employees who are trained in how they do that. And I'll let Dr. Cohen talk about that specifically. This week, uh, we plan to lay out the trends that we need to meet along with testing and tracing capacity in order for us to be able to ease restrictions. We are working with our coronavirus task force. Uh, right now, for example, uh, the president's plan that was sent out in federal guidance uh, requires a 14-day reduction in COVID positive cases. Uh, North Carolina does not meet that criteria. Uh, it also requires testing and tracing uh, in order to be able to meet that threshold. And what we're doing is looking at all of this as a whole and going to make determinations on the range of goals that we need to hit in order to ease restrictions. And we want to do that. Uh, we want to ease restrictions on the economy and on families. And we know that hitting benchmarks in testing and tracing and on trying to drive a downward trajectory on COVID cases along with COVID-like illness as is provided in the federal guidelines, along with our testing capacity is important. And I'll let Dr. Cohen address that as well. Thank you, Governor. Yes, on the tracing capacity, I want to remind folks in North Carolina, we're very lucky that North Carolina has a long-standing infrastructure to do this kind of work through our 85 local health departments. We have more than 250 folks who are already trained to do this work and have been doing it since the start of this pandemic and well before. Um, they continue to do that work. Our first effort was also to mobilize further folks within our local public health teams that may have been working on other kinds of disease outbreak, make sure we're mobilizing them all um, for this effort. And then, yes, we want to ramp up our workforce as well, so there will be um, more coming on that. We want to be establishing one partner for ease of ramping this up very quickly. Um, so we're looking to establish that with one partner who will then be able to start the process of, of, of hiring, recruiting, training, and then deploying uh, folks as we go. Thank you. All right. So did you hear the answer, though, is that they have a longstanding infrastructure, we do in this state, to do this kind of tracing. They have 250 people doing it through the 85 local health departments. Okay, well, then where's the data? Where's the data? If you've already got the infrastructure and you've got people doing it, where's the data? And now you're going to bring in some other third party to run it on top of the local health departments instead? Like, wouldn't that be the DHHS? That would be a follow-up that I would ask. But by the way, they did not answer the question about how many tests are needed. Here is a follow-up from Carolina Public Press. Hello, Governor and Dr. Cohen. This is Kate Martin with Carolina Public Press. Um, there's a question that Travis asked that I don't know if you guys got to. He asked, how many tests do we need to do a day versus what we have the capacity for now? First, we want to do as much testing as we can. And our testing work group is working furiously to ramp up testing as much as possible. We have 14 labs in our state. We have uh, lab capacity. 
we're working to get more personal protective equipment and we're working on getting that number up and we're over 80,000 tests being run now. But we're going to, this week, talk about the ranges where we need to be in numbers of tests and our testing capacity as we lay out how we want to move forward in, in easing restrictions. So we'll get you something more specific as we lay out the plan uh, this week. Right, so if all of this sounds uh, about as unprepared as you were for all of the COVID-19 stuff, and uh, maybe you are running a business and now you're scrambling to set up or improve your business website, it could be overwhelming for any of us. It was for me. So let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design help you with logos, graphics, photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. For professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith Design. Make your site look professional, user-friendly for both your customers and you, and so you can adapt quickly. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. All right, so we're going to get some specifics, some of the details this week on the plan. That's what he's promising. Now, do we get the data? Are we going to be able to see the data that you're basing this plan off of? Because that's what people have been asking for from our state government for the last now almost two weeks. And I think if we're going to be, you know, asked to sign on to more of these types of restrictions and uh, if we're going to be asked to do more to combat this virus, I think we should all get to see some of the data that's being used to direct our efforts. Thanks for everybody who made the show possible. Thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for the support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.